Welcome to Thinking Reimagined. Thinking Reimagined is a unique platform for thoughts provoking intergenerational dialogue in a diverse and inclusive setting with a focus on impactful change in the global workplace and community. Our stakeholders' conversations aim to spark thought, leadership, curiosity, engagement, collaboration, and learning amongst individuals, teams, and beyond. Enjoy, Enjoy this episode. episode and subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other outlets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Thinking Reimagined podcast. I am Nisha Niobuntoye. We're talking about trauma today, and I'm just thinking from the top of my head a few things that I consider a traumatic experience right now. Akama, I don't know if you're in Nigeria, but the first Catholic equation is traumatic. Uh, I don't know what stage of trauma I am in right now. I'm also, I'm also uh, finding it quite traumatic to keep watching the Russian invasion of Ukraine on my TV screen. It's terrible, Akama. It certainly is, Nifemi, and I'm so glad that we're actually touching on trauma because the reality is, and I say this very frequently, we're living in a traumatic world and uh, more so here in Nigeria, although I'm not trying to negate what people are experiencing in other countries, including um, Ukraine, but really it's a chance for us to um, define trauma to understand how it affects our lives and to recognize that we can um, regulate ourselves so that the experience of trauma does not um, become chronic because the reality is children these days are being exposed to traumatic situations whether it's poverty whether it's abuse whether it's discrimination bias name it and all of these things not only affect our body and our minds, but they go on to cause long-term effects on how we build relationships, how we heal from um, incidences. So it's really critical that we have this discussion because within here in Nigeria, so yes, now you know I am in Nigeria, um, it, it is absolutely heightened at this time of the year, or it's currently heightened, period whether you're dealing with petrol shortages or lack of electricity or the level of abuse or policies that are not being adhered to, whatever it is, it is overwhelming. So I'm looking forward to a discussion with um, SA as well as Abby regarding trauma, how we can regulate ourselves and understanding the core basis of trauma so that we can support the not just the young ladies who are on this call right now, but other people who will be listening um, with us today, Nifemi, so that we don't forget are uh, the finalists of the Equity and Equality Scholarship um, Program. And um, these are the finalists. I think there are 14 of them or 12 of them. I want to say 12, excuse me. The 12 finalists and uh, the announcement of the awardees will occur next week, Tuesday, International Women's Day. So let's get the conversation started. And I see Ese is with us and hopefully um, Abby will join us shortly. And thank you for being here. Absolutely. Everyone. 
Shout out to the Equity and Equality Scholarship finalists. Wish you all the best. And looking forward to who the winners are going to be this year. Thank you to our guests also joining us. You have heard from Dr. Anna. And, uh, you know, she's helped given us a background to this conversation. And I believe that all of us are looking forward to it. We also have joining us um, a psychologist and a radio host, Essay. Good to see you, Essay. Uh, Miss Abby will join us in a short while. But let's get to it, Essay. Perhaps you can help us understand uh, what trauma is all about on whatever it is, symptoms that perhaps we are not even paying attention to. Okay, basically, um, trauma is our emotional response to a terrible event. So, and most times that um, terrible event is subjective to the person going through it. So it depends on what you define as bad. So something might be traumatic to one and another person might just overlook it. Okay, like I said, it's subjective to the individual. When you talk about trauma, um, for some, it could um, actually deteriorate into lack of sleep, inability to eat. Uh, is mostly subjective to individuals and it can play out in interaction with the others, withdrawal, depression, anxiety, and and the symptoms going on and on and on. Um, everybody has gone through traumatic events because mental health, mental health basically is our mental state of our, our state of mind for our emotions, um, feelings. And when we talk about mental health and talk about something being traumatic, we're basically saying uh, something has disrupted uh, or disrupts our mental health from the positive to the negative. So instead of leaning towards happiness, our, our mindset is sad. Instead of um, joy, we are um, uh, unhappy or depressed. So those, are, those symptoms, they're general. And like I said, the list goes on and on. No, I was just going to add to the list that um, Essay presented is that when we look at trauma, there are many, there are many signs of trauma, but I, I do think it's important for the young ladies to know that uh, shame, um, self-guilt, uh, lack of ability to sleep uh, can also be signs of, um, of trauma, anxiety, fear. Uh, lack of appetite. I mean, it, it just really goes on. And really, when we look at trauma, we look at the areas of um, dysregulation. There's a certain number of, there's a certain amount of arousal that we need in order to function for our brain to function properly. And when we, our nervous system is overly stimulated, then we can go into this state of dysregulation. And that state of dysregulation is actually the result of trauma so that you can be hyper or hypo aroused um, in terms of trauma. One of the things that we do very much in trauma care is to really focus on what happened, what happened to cause the trauma, not so much what is wrong with you. You hear that phrase in Nigeria, what's wrong with you? There's, it's not about what is wrong with you, it's about what has happened to you that has caused you to be dysregulated. And so we start to look at, in some cases, um, the, ACE, the, the ACEs, you know, the adverse childhood experiences that children have, because if you don't address those in the beginning, it sort of continues 
to affect them in life. And we know that traumatic experiences can affect the brain. Traumatic experiences can affect how we handle stress. Traumatic experiences can cause chronic illness. But um, if we could just define adverse um, childhood experiences versus poverty is an adverse experience, neglect, abuse. So it's really important for young children that they start that co-regulation at a very young age with their parents. The mother is the biggest connector for um, learning to regulate. So you learn regulation of your nervous system through your mother is the most primal one. And then from there, it goes into self-regulation. So um, being aware of the adverse trauma situations that children experience having a parent or a caregiver that is able to help you learn the process of self of co-regulation, which leads into self-regulation. I see that Miss Abby has joined us, so perhaps she wants to add something to that as well, because she's also a trauma expert. Can I add something? Like when you talked about trauma, childhood trauma, it's been seen and from research that the brain of a traumatized child is actually physically different from a child that doesn't experience trauma. So trauma for childhood trauma, it's it's something we don't even think about, especially in this part of the world, because you're like, ah, what does the child know? But it, children actually get traumatized. And most times when adults are traumatized, it's as a result of their inability to re It just becomes a circle, never-ending circle they go through as they go on in life. Mokabe, good to, to see you, by the way. We're talking about... Um symptoms of um, trauma and um, I'd like to bring you in but just hold on a bit so we can get um, a clearer pictures of all of this. Essay, I'm back to you in a jiffy. So you know we established earlier how traumatic living experience can be right. I'd like us to know at what point trauma becomes a big challenge because um, you know Certain things happen and then shocks to have to react and then after a while you get over it and life continues. It's not as bad as you have a terrible headache or you're sick or you're mobile or you need emergency help. At what point does trauma become really traumatic and then you need to seek help? Perhaps that would help us have um, it would give us a better perspective for this person. I, I don't I don't think there's anything like small trauma or trauma that is not serious or a point where you have to wait because it's a it's a medical it's a psychological condition that deteriorates. So it doesn't yes, some people actually get out of it. But the issue about trauma is most likely it will cause you to react in a certain way because we 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 heal on default, whether we like it or not. If you go through um any um, e event or issue, as humans, we always want to go on. So the way you heal, I, I use this as an exam example. When you break an arm and you refuse to set it properly, it will still heal. But what will happen if the hand is not properly healed? That's another thing. So trauma is not something you can say, oh, it's, it's, it's minor, you're still functioning. Because we have a lot of functional depressed people. and. Um, they are, they are, they've been traumatized, but they are just functioning. They are going through the motions of life. And nobody really realizes until something happens and there's a major event and they can't cope. So 
their um, mental resilience is actually weak because they've not been able to deal with trauma. And mental resilience is just your ability to bounce back from um, traumatic events and be able to uh, move on. And if you don't deal with the drama you feel is so little, it will cause a weakness or um, a loophole per se. And then when something bigger happens, you're unable to stand. That's when you'll not be like, oh, is this small thing that is causing you to want to kill yourself? I tell people when um, I heard the news of a lady that um, committed suicide because her husband is cheating, I said it wasn't because the husband was cheating. She definitely has been going through traumatic events in her life that she has not dealt with. So that was just the last straw that broke the canvas back. So there is nothing like small trauma or um, there's a point where you get to know. It's not something you should overlook. Like I said, um, children, the brain of a traumatized child is actually physically damaged. Physically, there are signs that they've been researched to show that it shows changes and is different from a child that has not been traumatized. So imagine how far back that kind of effect is on a person and how that will affect the person's reaction and um, relationship with people. So it's, I, I don't think there's, I don't, I, I don't see any research that proves that there's um, small trauma or every trauma should be taken seriously. It mustn't get to um, the, the period of um, suicide before you now say, oh, this is something that needs looking into. Okay, can I come in now? I'm not sure where Nifemi is going to. Good afternoon, everyone. So, Good afternoon. Uh, yes, I, I um, accede or agree to what SA has said, but I wanted to add that um, there's every, there are everyday traumas. You know, part of living involves trauma. There's no one that has not experienced trauma. So it could be trauma in the sense of your pets dying. It could be trauma in the sense of not doing well in an exam. But they're everyday traumas that, as, as I said, we bounce back from. These are, these are what I consider part of life. It's, it's part of life. And for me, trauma has been a word that's been banded around a lot, especially since the lockdown, where people have had time to read and maybe be a bit more introspective. And I feel that um, it's been overused actually um, to cover many, many other situations that it shouldn't be used for. For me, I totally believe that trauma is um, not necessarily the bad thing happening to you, but is how it is handled. Who is with you? Who comforts you? As uh, Dr. Amma said, the attachment figure is very, very important for a child, the primary caregiver. So, for example, if there's a death in the family, this is terrible, a death in the immediate family. But is there comfort? How are we mourning this death? Or is the child or adult just mourning alone? So it's the feeling of aloneness that actually um, makes the trauma worse. So, for example, as a few women are here, I know about things like stillbirths or a child dying, a young child dying. It is a very um, important monumental event, but it is the support system that helps the woman, the family get over it. So I'll give you an example. In England, they talk a lot, or in the West, they talk a lot about uh, postnatal depression. Okay, so in Africa, our foremothers knew about this. Our forefathers knew that women were susceptible to become depressed, especially when the hormones shut down after having a child. So what did they do? They decided that when a woman has a child, she's going to be pampered for the first 40 days. She's got, not gonna have to wash plates. She's not gonna have to cook. She's not gonna have to even look after the baby whilst her body is getting back together. 
she's going to have hands-on in Yoruba. They'll say, which means you're putting your hands in water to wash baby clothes every second, especially in the days when the nappies had to be washed. Um, there was a, there's a support system. It's a very different thing when you have a child in the West without the support system. Many, many women are susceptible to postnatal depression because there's nobody to share the daily tasks with. There's nobody to talk to, pray with, be, uh, you know, the spiritual factor, the advice, there's no one. So automatically the woman shuts that and that it becomes trauma. It is the trauma that leads to the postnatal depression. I hope that's a, that's a good example to show. Now, actually, in Nigeria, we hear now of a lot of cases of postnatal depression because the family systems have broken down, um, the traditions have broken down. Everybody's living in their flats or their house with their gen. They don't need help. I don't want my mother-in-law, my extended family. This auntie is a witch. This, this is this. Not realizing that actually those constructs were put in place to help the mother's mental health to prepare her. You know, the seventh day, eighth day naming was a time actually for the mother to even celebrate the birth of this child. Uh, regardless of however many names that your child has been given, just enjoy, try and enjoy the party as best as you can. Um, so I believe that the trauma in itself is the aloneness that the person feels when this event, when a monumental event happens whether positive or negative, especially in negative situations where there's a loss, um, loss maybe of income, where we heard of um, young men now taking their lives because they've lost money due to betting. It's traumatic because they're doing this thing on their own in, in secret, in private, having nobody to talk to about it and feeling alone in that situation. I think it's a fantastic contribution, Ms. Abby, particularly your position on postpartum depression and how you beautifully linked it with the uh, knowledge-driven culture of the Yoruba people. So I learned about postpartum depression in a hard way. And just like you said, like um, when you have a big family around where you have a child, not many of us today get to place a lot of importance on you know, the value that that brings to the woman who just gave birth to a child. Sometimes it gets so bad that some women despise their babies and, you know, they just do not want to see them at all. And you are thinking, is this woman crazy or something? But it's way beyond all of that. So I really appreciate that contribution. I see that um, the participants are sending questions. Please feel free to do that. Use the chat platform to drop your contributions and your questions in this regard. Um, Melvina, I say, like Dr. Amma said, the question to ask is what happened to you and not what is wrong with you? My question is, should one blame him or herself for what happened, just like most people do? What should be done? when the blame is on them. And this is very practical, particularly in the case of rape. You know, there are people who still question the victim and who puts the blame on the victim. Okay, so why are you there this time? Why are you wearing this? And there, you put a lot of responsibility on the shoulder of the person that needs help. And this person is saying, what do you do in, in the midst of this blame game? Who wants to go first? Well, I, I'm, I'm actually glad to see this question pop up because it's one of those questions that uh, 
people don't address or as, as the individual, I think as Malvina said, you sort of blame yourself. The reality is you're not responsible for, you can't blame yourself for what occurred to you. What you can do is heal from what occurred to you. And uh, the, the, the key is to talk about it, to find um, the specialists, the experts who can support you in the process of unwrapping the trauma and healing from it. And there are many methods of um, dealing with it. The reality is that when you're traumatized, as I said earlier, it affects your mind, it affects your body, and uh, it affects your nervous system. And the way the brain is, is built is that that experience now goes into your amygdala so that if something else similar triggers it, then you react again. So it's important for you to understand how you've reacted to it and then to work through the process of healing and to, and to recognize how your body reacts to trauma. Because once you recognize that, then you can learn to regulate how you cope with trauma and you can move forward. Um, so that there are many practices that come into play to heal somebody who has been traumatized through sexual, um, sexual experience, sexual, excuse me, abuse is what I was trying to say. Um, and I think the question has been dealt with um, with regards to the different types of trauma. I mean, there's the simple case of trauma or acute trauma where it's just a singular you know, occurrence, you witnessed uh, an event and you're traumatized from it. There's the chronic, which has to do with continuous abuse of some sort. And then you have the more complex, which is a myriad of things coming together. And then you start dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, which is much more chronic. But if you have experienced that sort of um, trauma, you really can heal from trauma because you don't want it to exacerbate where it begins to grow into you hating yourself or having suicidal ideations or at the end of the day committing suicide. It's not necessary, it can be healed. And uh, some people take medication if they are depressed and others use therapies to heal. But we do, re we do adjust or react to trauma in different ways, whether it's, as I said earlier, hypo or hyper. One is where you're anxious. The other one is where you disengage from the situation. Um, Miss Abby, did you want to say something? Because I see your hand is up. I'll let um, Miss Essay go first. Her hand was up before mine. This is Zoom etiquette at its finest. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So I wanted, I wanted to... Um, Personally, I've, I've actually experienced rape twice and I was molested growing up. And um, when I think about trauma and I saw the role of the mindset of being a victim that I didn't really heal from my being molested. So when I was being raped, I froze and I could not react. And because I froze and I did not react as people will expect, because they will tell you, did you fight? Were you, were you just there? Were you enjoying it? They asked very, very funny questions. And um, it's natural and normal that we blame ourselves, but definitely blaming yourself is causing more pain on yourself that you are now victimizing yourself, self-victimization, which is not healthy. It is not one's fault for what happened. It's something um, you didn't plan, you didn't um, decide that, oh, this is what I want. So it's, it's actually um, not 
you should not and i would say it's not your fault and don't blame yourself for it I, it's something that it took me years to get to a point where i stopped blaming myself even as I, I blame myself there was a time i used to blame myself for being molested as a child but i now realized I, I i didn't have to blame myself and i forgave myself i told myself i forgive you because i felt there was a part of me that was wicked and that was what was attracting it so um if this has happened to you i would say talk to yourself and tell yourself you're not to blame it's not your fault thank you thank you as miss abelistic yes i wanted to um say i wanted to go back to the question that says how does one please keep you know, their uh, contributions concise so we can go through all these questions and yes. make it as conversation as how, okay so I just want to go back to where it says, how do you get over childhood trauma? Again, myself being a, a, a survivor of childhood trauma. So you cannot um, judge somebody else's trauma is what I wanted to say. What is traumatic to one person might not be traumatic to the next person. It's how one experiences it. So for example, if um, on a bus, somebody uh, strikes you and you don't feel traumatized, but somebody else feels traumatized from that experience, you're in no position to judge somebody else's um, feelings and experience of that, um, of that experience. So in, when it comes to judging oneself, it is very important to realize that the brain is a very, as Dr. Amma said, is a very unique organism whereby it notices everything around you. The people you surround yourself with shape the way you think. So if you surround yourself with people saying that you've got a spiritual problem or you know somebody's doing this to you or it's because you did this or it's because you wore this or it's because you went there, um, the self-blame will come in. But if you realize that you can actually change the way you think you know, and forgive yourself for this experience because from where we come from as Africans, there's a lot of, it is your fault. You know, somebody takes their own life. It is their fault for doing that. You know, they don't realize that it is actually the inability to have the comfort around the support system isn't there. And that is very, very important. And healing from uh, child, whether it's child abuse or child trauma is a lot of work. I don't want anyone to think that it's little work. It's an ongoing process whereby for some people, it happens faster, maybe just with talk therapy. And as we grow up, we realize that talk therapy isn't necessarily what you have in a clinical, clinical setting. It could be what you have with your auntie, what you have with a friend, what you have with a mentor, um, all the way up to what Dr. Amma said, which is medication. Um, some people even have shock therapy, all sorts of different therapies, but it could be as simple as it can get and it could actually be very useful as simple as it can get as well. This is the Thinking Reimagined podcast sponsored by Allied Empowerment. Allied Empowerment Consultancy offers leadership and innovation through bespoke human development solutions, brain-based leadership and coaching. Allied Empowerment empowers business leaders, teams, and individuals to intentionally accentuate desired outcomes built on trust, curiosity, psychological safety, engagement, and communication. Allied Empowerment, thriving in a sustainable and valued manner. So I see Ms. Abby already talked about um, childhood trauma, and that's what um, Chida Wasinthia is asking about. 
um, talking about childhood trauma as an adult, how do you get over childhood trauma? Um, and that is big because um, memories from childhood abuse, I have found out, for instance, um, I've even begin to pattern the behavior of certain people. So there was this, um, this, this, um, this popular musician who recently was accused of abusing underage girls. And I remember there was an interview he had many years ago where he talked, opened up about how he was a victim of abuse as a younger boy by elderly woman. So there's a science that says if you do not take care of all of this childhood, um, childhood trauma and abuses, you might eventually grow up to be an abuser yourself. I say, is there something you want to talk to us about that? Particularly um, getting help. Um, someone is asking also, for instance, that um, is there a way to heal from a traumatic event, e.g. sexual abuse, without talking about it? I heard you say, you spoke to yourself, you forgave yourself. Essay just left, so we might have to skip essay to have someone else answer the question. But there's a lot going on here. Number one is, do you necessarily have to talk to someone about it? If yes, who do you speak to about it? And how do you overcome childhood trauma? That's a, that's a very difficult one, but I wanted to come in to address um, something else that I, I wanted to talk about which is that um, I, I said it was an ongoing process. And there's a question that says, does one ever heal completely? And there's a yes answer to that. And there's a no answer to that. Um, the yes answer is that yes, you can heal completely, but you need to know what your triggers are. Triggers, are, triggers could be a smell. It could be a voice. It could be a color. So for some people, their triggers are major. So it could be being in a particular place. So for example, if you were raped in a toilet, going to a toilet will be very, very difficult for you, especially if it's in a lonely, uh, if you're alone there. So triggers, you need to know your triggers. So for some people, they know what their triggers are, this particular community, this particular place, um, or as, as, as Innocent as this might sound, some people have many, many triggers and they have to be self-protective. They have to protect themselves from those triggers going off. So, and this is where it links to who do you speak with? Your information has to be safe, safely held and not used against you. Many, many people have used information that has been shared with them to break the victim, to break, the, I don't want to use the word victim, the person that has shared this information. So for example, if you confide in a significant other who doesn't respect you, that will be used constantly. You that was raped, you that was clinical, you that didn't know this. In my case, it was you that didn't, didn't know who your father was, or you that doesn't know who your father is. You know, so that in itself, um, even though it wasn't confided, but it was information was used against me. So one has to know, you know, their triggers, what triggers you, what scent, what's a smell, uh, what's a sound triggers you. And that's what I wanted to bring in there about the triggers. I'm just wondering uh, how precise. I... 
I just wanted to add to this discussion because I know we're talking so much about and giving examples, but we need to know, each person needs to be aware that how you react to a traumatic experience is unique. I mean, in some cases, there's this flight or fight response, or you freeze, like Essay mentioned the second time, she just froze. She was aware of what was going, but she froze in that moment. But these responses are natural because they've been cases where women have been have frozen during a case of violence that people say, well, couldn't you have done something? No, you can't because your emotional response is to freeze at that moment because you're aware of what's going on, but your nervous system is reacting in a completely unimaginable manner. And it's why it's important when we do trauma healing is to help people understand how they do react and to be aware of how it lands in their bodies so that when they are triggered and they get that sensation, they're able to regulate themselves again so that they can then have a more um, appropriate response if it's possible or how to manage the trauma because trauma is emotional. And there is a, when it lands on your, in your system, it builds and it rests somewhere. It has to rest somewhere. So being able to identify that area of your body that has embodied that trauma is so critical. For some people, it's in their back, it's in their tummy, it's in their heads. But when you know that source where you hold the trauma, then we can work on healing it and helping you to build a sense of resilience but uh, the most important thing is don't blame yourself for your trauma. Don't allow others to blame you for what you have experienced. And each of us reacts in a different way. I don't want to get too technical today because we really can. I want to just keep it like a light discussion where everybody can um, participate. Um, I see that. Sorry, Nifali, um, the, the, you spoke about a man that um, said that he had been exposed to um, abuse and he therefore abused. Um, this is where, again, I don't want to get too technical. It's about transgenerational information, transgenerational patterns of uh, behavior. Um, one has to be very conscious that even though maybe there's an adult uh, that has hurt one, um, sometimes you find that uh, you, you, you're morphing to become that person. Um, for, so, for example, if you were smacked a lot as a child, you promise yourself you're not going to smack your child, but then you realize that you haven't dealt with your anger issues. Um, so your child gets upset and you start smacking the child. That's a transgenerational situation because you haven't actually dealt with um, what is causing the anger, what is making this happen. But at the same time, you have to be very forgiving of yourself because it takes time. You know, I'm not going to go into genetics. It takes time to realize that maybe there are ways, as long as you are going over that experience and saying, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or I shouldn't have spoken this way. You're actually going over it. it is, that is what's important. So for example, in Nigeria, we don't apologize to children. Um, it is said that many people don't apologize to children. Um, here, it's a constant thing as a teacher. You apologize, oh, I gave you the wrong homework. Oh, I didn't mark your work. Oh, I marked that wrongly. You're allowed to correct your teachers. You're allowed to correct your elders here. And you're allowed to, you must actually apologize to children because um, nobody's perfect. So I just wanted to bring in the 
fact that we have to be conscious of what we also bring to the table whilst we don't want to repeat what has happened to us. Uh, so I've had to exit this um, conversation several times. Uh, Dr. Amma, I literally can't find any of um, the messages on the chat platform here again. So I'd like you to please go through the messages for us. I saw a message from Uncle P earlier. Let me Can see if I can locate that. Yeah, just a moment. Um, he said, my opinion, I think trauma comes in all shapes and sizes, as well as different levels of trauma. Very true. Let us not confuse trauma with depression. Actually, depression is a byproduct of trauma. And people react to traumatic events in different ways. Trauma can be mental, physical, or physiological. Yes, it can. And that's why you can get into the areas of complexity of the type of trauma that you have um, experienced. And then Faith said low self-esteem can be seen as one of the effects of trauma. Absolutely. Um, that actually has to do with what I was speaking about earlier, which is the hypoarousal, where you withdraw or your awareness or sensitivity to things, or you're immobilized by feelings as opposed to hyper. I find that many people in Nigeria are hyper aroused. So you, you, you're in traffic and somebody gets upset and they start screaming and shouting, they're traumatized. There's no need to engage with them. They're traumatized they've been they've been triggered by a past event which causes them to have an outburst which cannot be explained and no sooner than they've had that outburst because their nervous system hasn't developed a state where they know that well I can be upset and not have to explode or I can be upset and not feel like I need to strike my wife or strike my children um, those kinds of lessons have to be taught but yes, it is a byproduct of trauma. And Malvina said, do, do one ever heal completely? Does one ever heal completely? Must the healing process be intentional? What happens when the person doesn't speak up? Um, which of you ladies wants to take that rather than them hearing my voice all the time? Um, can I actually go to the low self-esteem thing as well? Because when, um, when there's been a negative traumatic, uh, traumatic event, your identity is called into question. When maybe you've been taken advantage of, um, it always questions one's identity. And that's where low self-esteem comes in. So you start asking, who am I? Am I this uh, child that is only worth this much? Am I this person that can't do anything? Does everybody know? You almost feel exposed. Um, you don't know who you are anymore. And that comes part and parcel, actually. It's not can be seen as faith. It actually comes part and parcel with, with the trauma, you know, and you have to build up. One builds up that self-esteem. Um, through different ways, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a, a, an occupation or an interest that you can pour that into, you find a lot of artists and creatives have actually been through a lot of trauma, very creative people. And that's why they're able to spend a lot of time creating what they create. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a very, very, uh, the identity and esteem um, issue it's an oscillating thing because some people deal with it by being very grand, uh, grandiose and bragging. 
Um, and I think that's what happens a lot. And we see that around with people that make want to make a lot of money. It's a low self-esteem thing. It's part of the traumatic experiences they've had as an effect of the traumatic experiences they've had, maybe of poverty, where their self-esteem is so low that every conversation is about money. You know, they talk about money all the time. Um, or it gets to a point where with some people, their self-esteem is completely shattered and they're, they're doing things and um, uh, moving around with people that they shouldn't be with, you know? So, and they're involving themselves in risky behaviors. It's all got to do with self-esteem and building your self-esteem is a gradual, gradual process, gradual, gradual process. Um, and it takes time, but um, it, 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 it happens. And the question that I was asked to answer actually was, does one ever heal completely? Must the healing process be intentional? What happens when the person doesn't speak up? It is absolutely important to speak up. And I'm speaking, I'm answering backwards. You need to own your truth. Thank you so much, Essay, for being bold enough. Thank you, Dr. Amma. Thank you, even myself. You need to own your truth. You're not a bad person for having experienced these things. You're not evil. It's not a spiritual problem. It's not all these negatives that you know get banded around. Um, you have to speak up, but you have to take your time to choose who you speak up with, to be a safe place, to be someone somewhere safe. Maybe SA can contribute to this, who to speak up to. And the healing must be intentional and you can heal completely, but it takes time. It's not something you rush and sprint to do, um, but you must speak up and own your truth, own your experience, own your truth. Absolutely. In addressing who to speak with SA, I'd like you to distinguish between uh, um, mental challenge and spiritual problems because um, there's a very thin line in this part of the world when you have issues with stress or mental illness. You know, very religious people ask you to go to a church or to go see. I don't know if they do much of that in the mosque, but I know that a lot of uh, churchgoers would believe that as a spiritual tone or spiritual solution to that problem. Who do you speak with, particularly in situations where you know most people who have been sexually abused in sharing their experiences, uh, it eventually also may speak to wrong people who might even take advantage of them in the future. Uh, who do you speak with and how do you draw the line between what is a mental challenge and a spiritual issue that requires spiritual attention. Well, so for that, back. yeah, yeah. One other thing I wanted to say, because this spiritual thing was one of the issues I had growing up, because one of the things I heard when I was a child was your life was written in a book. So I was wondering how God sat down and wrote my life that I'll be abused for over the first six to seven years of my life. So, and I realized that sometimes we, we take some, and as a Christian, I now, I now understand that he's not even in the Bible saying God wrote your, your life in a book. A lot of things that we hear in church that we see as, oh, this is what this is how it is. And we just take as truth. They are not really truth. So for every individual, you should know, know your own truth for yourself. Read as much as you can. Understand things. Don't just take things as, as it is. Um, speaking out, I would say one of the good things about talking about traumatic experience is it gives you a voice. Uh, when one is raped, it's like your voice is taken away. So when you speak out, I'm not saying 
you must speak out in public. I'm not saying you must like take a mic and talk about it. Like talking to someone about it, saying it out loud outside of yourself gives you power over what has happened. And say it, and you it's like you're telling yourself that um, I can get through this. So speaking up about it is good, but speaking out to someone that you can confide in is much better, much more better. We just like to add to that that there are people who are trained to work with you um, in terms of trauma, the trauma healers, um, and there are multiple modalities that are used to heal people who have gone through trauma. Uh, we've talked a lot about, uh, well, talk therapy, but there's somatic things where we use the body to heal or you use nature to heal. There's a wide range of it, but it's always best to work with someone in the field who understands how to engage, how to identify and how to help you break up that experience so you can begin to form new neurons in your brain. The whole field or the whole idea and concept of neuroplasticity is engaging the brain to form new neurons neurons and those neurons help you to build the resistance one but to to recognize your triggers because everybody who's been traumatized has a trigger if you know your trigger when it comes up you're able to use breathing methods or writing methods or speaking methods to calm it down and regulate. I started this conversation by talking about co-regulation and self-regulation. It is absolutely important that if you've been traumatized, that you work with experts and people who understand this whole process to help you learn how to self-regulate or you can co-regulate with another person, with a pet, with nature, there's so many techniques that are in, that are employed, but you can heal fully from traumatic experiences. And as Miss Abby and and Miss um, Essay have said, it's got to be intentional. You need to want to do it for yourself, because when you heal from that experience and it does not go on into other generations, we do know from neuroscientists that epigenetics is the transfer of your traumatic experience genetically to an offspring. And you have to sort of negate that. Um, and, it, and it's better for you in the long run. So you have an equilibrium homostasis in terms of your mind body body engagement and of course employing your brain um there's another question here nifemi and i'm trying to find it because i don't know if you can find those uh, how do you know you are completely healed from a traumatic event at times you think you are free but it only takes a little bit to remind you i think it goes it goes back to the question of your triggers if you know your trigger you can identify your trigger then you can work on how to calm that trigger um, I'm trying not to be technical here, but there's a way to rethink things and to understand it so that you can then apply whatever method you've come to recognize as soothing for you. So you can once again, go back to that level where you can move forward in your life. You usually know that you've healed from a trauma when you're triggered and you don't react in the way that you did in the first instance. You've come up with other coping skills and, and methods to dysregulate when you have um, been traumatized again. Well, there's a Is lot there to take on. 
Yes, yeah. I mean, there's something that um, is also called reorganization, um, which is when you're able to actually go over what's happened to you in the past, try to understand it. And um, we can use the word forgiveness, forgiveness of yourself or the perpetrator, where you come to a place where you've accepted what's happened and you actually realize the positive um, what you can bring, what positiveness, even it doesn't matter how little it is out of that experience. So I know it is hard saying what positive thing can we bring out of a death or something, but there is the knowledge that you can help other people with their, with their you know, when they're experiencing loss, for example. Um, you, you need to have, you, you need to, it's, it's, a, it's very difficult to explain um, verbally in one sitting how the healing happens. But I think in this conversation, we've been able to give nuggets um, of information such as owning your truth, um, forgiving yourself, speaking to yourself, being careful of who you surround yourself with, being careful of the information that comes to you um, because it is difficult. Um, in a society, we say that, oh, it's women that are raped. Men, boys are raped as well. So if it's difficult for girls to talk about uh, being raped, imagine how difficult it is for boys to talk about it as well. You know, um, abuse in itself. And, you know, there's the statistics that are there for us to see. Actually, Dr. Amma can second and probably Essay can second me on this, that most of the abuse we talk about actually happens um, is are perpetrated by people known to the person, people within the household, family friends, um, you know, siblings, cousins. Um, so it's even more difficult in that context because you're you're trying to protect your family, you know, and family is so important to us as Africans. And you know, if we hear that a child is talking negatively about their parent or their family, it's another issue altogether. But you know, we need to heal whether that means we address this in a way that makes other people feel uncomfortable. You know, I've said severally that people don't want to deal with trauma in Nigeria because it requires of them to examine the way they were parented. It requires of them to look into their family systems and say, wow, you know, I, I, I need to deal with this. So most of these terrible happenings actually happen and are perpetrated by people known to the person. Which makes it well, hard. you agree with me, everyone, that this topic is inexhaustible, and uh, well, we're out of time now. We have to go. Uh, perhaps we'll come back to this some other time and explore some more angles, sweet. But I'd like to say a big thank you to Miss Abby. I'd like to say a big thank you to Essie and Dr. Amma for shedding more light on these. A big thank you to everyone in the audience, particularly the E and E scholarship. Um, finalists, so uh, we look forward to how you react to all of these contributions um, while you send in your comments. And we want to say a big thank you to everyone who is watching live and who is listening on every of our podcast platform. Dr. Amma, I think it's been a great show. I think it has. And as you said, we're only scratching the surface of the topic of trauma. I mean, we didn't even talk about addiction, which is another aspect of the trauma experience and, uh, you know, all the other things that go on. But thank you, everyone, for being here. I do believe we should revisit this topic at, at a later time and perhaps talk about some of the um, 
methods that we use to help people coping with uh, traumatic experiences. Thank you everyone for being here. Thank you so much. There's a last question that I actually don't want to leave hanging, which is uh, when we heal from a traumatic event and another or different traumatic event happens again, do you use the same process from the former healing and apply it to the current trauma? You need a fresh solution treatment for it. Um, maybe Essay can answer this question. Um, we are so unique as individuals that it's not that simple because all the factors cannot be the same. It can't be replicated. So it is not advisable to just say, oh, because this was the this helped me. You could try it, but it's always better to see it as a unique experience and treat it as such. It's not like going to the hospital. That, that's what we do in Africa. You have symptoms and you say, oh, when I had a headache and this is what the doctor gave to me, let me take a headache, um, take the same drug again because I have another headache. Not knowing that it's something else, you understand? So I, I, I always uh, want to believe we're that unique that you should treat each. It could actually just be headache, but it could be something else. So instead of just trying to apply what you've learned or what you've used to heal from another traumatic experience and try to replicate it, it's better to see it as another um, process, another healing process, which will actually help you grow. For me personally, I realized that everything I've been through actually made me the person I am today. And I, I love the fact that we talked about um, us as parents translating our traumas as, as children on our children, on as children that we were to our children. And personally, I've gone through that. And sometimes I try to see myself uniquely in every experience. So I don't try to say, oh, because this one, this one helps. If I see that talking, talking about it won't help, I use music therapy, there are, different, there are different methods to actually heal from trauma. So you can explore all options instead of just trying to use one way. Thank you very much. Thank you. And because I don't like questions being left, um, um, Uncle Peter's written, a trigger could be just seeing people associated with the traumatic event. And this is why a lot of therapists will say you might have to move. You might have to go no contact. You might have to change your setting. Um, but again, this is difficult in, in certain situations where you have no choice but to keep living in the same compound or with the same people. Um, that's a very difficult one, you know, because triggers can be associated with people um, when you see the person or the person related to that person, the event. Although Peter's kept nicely quiet throughout this, maybe he could explain. <laughs> but we and I do have to, I do, if I can, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to, did I cut you off? Because I'm never, did I cut you off, Abby? Yeah. I would like to ask, um, add to this. It is true that sometimes, generally, the way you are, you you react to trauma is based on how it hits your amygdala, and how you experience that trauma. And it, it could be different, and it could be the same. The key is to have the resilience and the tools that can help you to self-regulate yourself again, go back into regulation so that you are able to recognize, oh, this is happening to me and I've got these tools, this kit of things I can use to apply to it. And in reference to what Miss Abby mentioned, sometimes you have to set boundaries. When you've healed from trauma, you will learn to set boundaries and those boundaries continue to keep you in a safe space and within that safe space you can operate but recognize that you can be re-triggered but if you've got the tools 
you can go back and self-regulate. The key is self-regulation. How do I take in what is coming to me and how do I regulate myself so I can continue to proceed without having an adverse reaction from what has occurred to me? That's the whole key about understanding trauma, healing from trauma, and recognizing it's about what happened, not what is wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. It is normal to experience trauma. It's how you react and heal from trauma that is most important. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Amir. Thank you, Masabi. Thank you, SA. I think that we've had a fantastic conversation. I think it's peeled over. There's too much content. And I hope that everyone has learned one or two things as we get to this topic. Once again, thank you so much for joining this podcast. This has been a Thinking Reimagined podcast. The executive producer is Dr. Ammer. Co-producer, Peter Ammon Boyle. And it is moderated by Nifemi Okuntoye. The podcast is edited by Nelkan and supervised by Dun Sokwa. Thinking Reimagined emphasizes the importance of transformational conversations which have as their aim the bringing about of the rich diversity of thoughts and most importantly, powerful and applicable effective solutions and change. The views, opinions and contributions of the panelists are exclusively theirs and do not reflect their opinions of thinking reimagined producers or personnel. Thank, Thank you, you for listening, listening and we, we hope you have enjoyed, enjoyed this episode. episode. We invite you to subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and other outlets. We look forward to presenting another riveting episode next week. Thinking Reimagined Podcast is produced by Live Abundantly. We welcome your thoughts and invite you to visit our website, livesabundantly.com. Or you can follow us on social media on Live Abundantly 8. Thinking, Thinking Reimagined, changing the mindset, the mindset for, for a better, better global, global society. society.